The Gospel reading is from John, chapter 5, verses 1 to 15. You'll find this on page 1009 in the Bibles. It's entitled, The Healing at the Pool. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who'd been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who may be well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. This is the Gospel of Christ. I thought I'd um, start by giving you some visual scene setting because this is quite a visual passage when you get... Um, to John chapter 5, you're told about five porticos, a sheep gate, and a pool. And whilst we might recognize the reference to pool, it might be difficult to imagine um, the other two. So um, here is um, the sheep gate into Jerusalem. And as much as we know about the accuracy of the pool and the five porticos, we don't know that much, actually, um, there's a representation there. Um, on the screen, which might be helpful as you start to think and digest this passage. And if you look at the picture on, on the, your, your right, my left, um, you'll see people lying round the pool. And we're told these people had all manner of illnesses, disabilities uh, and diseases and came because of the healing properties this pool reportedly had. And there's something powerful, isn't there, about shared experience. Um, When we identify someone who has been through an experience that we've also been through. Today we we celebrate Mothering Sunday and and we're aware that there's there's a profound um, sense of sharing of that experience um, with other mothers. We see it every day in 19, you know, people who've had newborn babies coming and supporting each other. And we see that, that common experience. But there can also be a shared experience around illness and suffering. Um, and, and I've experienced this in my lifetime too. For those of you who know me, you'll, you might know that I, I suffer with eczema. And for 
several periods I've been hospitalized with it. And, and the ward that you used to go on if you had eczema or psoriasis or, or a skin condition um, in Cardiff, where I come from, um, was um, a ward in a building called Glamorgan House. And, and as I went into this um, hospital um, building for, for periods to, to rest and, and for my skin to be treated and so on, I was aware that everyone around me shared my experience. We might have had slightly different conditions, but the power of that shared experience was, was tangible. And, and, you know, if you have skin conditions, you often wear long sleeves or trousers to cover up what, what you're embarrassed about. But on this ward, there was that sharing. And, and it occurred to me, as I looked at the story of the man who encounters Jesus at the Pool of Bethsaida, that there would have been that same powerful sense of shared experience as year after year, this man waited with others um, to have his healing. Now, we don't know the man's name. We're not told it. What we do have is a profound insight into his character. The man had been coming to the pool for 38 years. Now, that's quite some persistence and resilience. And challenge yourselves for a moment to consider this question. How quick can we be to give up on things when, when the, the things that we want to happen don't happen immediately? How quick can we be to give up on things when the things that we want to happen don't happen quickly or immediately. You see, we live in a culture where we look for magic pills and immediate solutions. Imagine sustaining this man's desire for hope and for healing for some 38 years, nearly four decades. And hope is a powerful life force. It's one of those things that drives us on, that keeps us going. It helps us to reimagine our future beyond our present reality. Hope is a powerful driver. And we see Jesus in the Gospels speaking hope into people's lives. In fact, we believe as Christians that through the cross and resurrection, Jesus brought about our ultimate hope, which is found in him. And David, um, who was speaking last week, touched on this when he reminded us of the story of Mary and Martha following the death of their brother Lazarus. And Martha runs out to Jesus bereft, saying, you know, if only you got here quicker, my brother Lazarus might still be alive. And a conversation ensues. And, and Martha says to him, you know, I know, Lord, that, that you are the resurrection, um, and I know that the resurrection will come at the last day. But Jesus turns back to her and says, well, I am the resurrection now, Martha. I am your hope now, in the midst of all your suffering, in the midst of all that you're going through after the death of Lazarus, I am your hope. And our man this morning, who we encounter in John chapter 5, has not let his 38 years of suffering dampen his hope that life would change. And I posted a quote from Jürgen Moltmann on Facebook earlier in the week, and it attracted quite a response. Um, and it's that at the bottom of the screen. In the eyes of hope, the world is full of all kinds of possibilities. 
this man, 38 years suffering, um, keeps up his vision of the future by sustaining his hope that his present condition will change. Hope is powerful. And in the letter to the Hebrews, Paul tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And Hebrews um, uh, tells us that um, the man who encountered Jesus was a man not just of hope, but of faith. And time now for a profound truth. Faith is faith, even when it's grumpy. Faith is faith, even when it's grumpy. We don't pretend for a moment that after 38 years of suffering, this man was happy. We don't, uh, we don't pretend that during that time, there weren't days when it was bad or downright awful or he just wanted it all to end. But what he managed to sustain is, is that, that sense of faith and hope that life would change. So faith can be still faith, even when we're grumpy and disillusioned, and even when we're in the depths of despair, clinging on to hope in Christ can still sustain us. Jesus intentionally searches out this group of people. Jesus has come back to Jerusalem. And it was known that by the pool of Bethsaida, which means house of mercy in Aramaic, uh, was a place where the blind, the lame and the paralyzed lay in these porticos and waited for the waters to be stirred or troubled, at which point it was believed that they had healing properties. And Jesus deliberately chooses to be amongst this group of people. And I think it's powerful that numerous times in the New Testament of the Bible, the language of salvation or being saved translates as healing or being healed. Jesus searches out those that need his healing. And at the sheep gate, at the pool of Bethsaida, he finds this man. And our man finds himself Share, staring into the face of a God who travelled to Jerusalem and travelled to the pool of Bethsaida intentionally to bring this man his healing. How far will Jesus go to reach into the depths of our lives and bring about all the healing necessary? Another point, if you still got your Bibles open, you might be interested to, to look at the ordering of the verses um, Take yourself through them. John chapter 5, I think it was page 1009. Uh, and have a look at the ordering of the verses. 1, 2, 3, then 5. Where's verse 4? There's a verse missing. And if you take your eyes down to the bottom of the page, you'll find verse 4. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the waters was made well from whatever disease that person had. 
And the reason it's omitted from the main body of the text is that um, certain manuscripts that we use to translate the Bible into English didn't include this verse. And so it caused a bit of confusion as to whether this verse ought to be included as it was missing from some and in others. But, But the point is that this verse now heightens the anxiety we see in the man where in verse 7 we read, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Imagine over the course of four decades, seeing the angel or however the waters got troubled time and time again, and thinking, if only I can get there first ahead of everyone else, then I will be healed and my life will change. Imagine that being sustained as your experience over four decades. And imagine the disappointment that that this man must have experienced when because of his infirmity he couldn't get to the pool first and receive that healing. Now whether verse 4 should have been included at all or not is one for the scholars but for us the important point is is not how the pool actually worked. What's important is that Jesus is there. And he brings this man his healing. And Jesus challenges the process that this man has held on to for 38 years. The whole hope that this man had had that if only he got to the pool first, he would be healed. Time after time, that repeated experience. Yet Jesus comes and for the first time that he encounters Jesus, this man is told to take up his mat and walk. The first time this man comes face to face with Jesus, he is healed. And we have a reminder here for us that in seeking Jesus, in encountering Jesus through worship, through reading the Bible, through prayer and through communion, that it's Jesus who brings us our healing. So this man who has encountered Jesus has been made well. So let's shift our focus from the man to Jesus. Two things. Firstly, we see the compassion of Jesus. Have a look at verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, Jesus, you see, knew this man's life. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, Jesus knew this man even if the man didn't know him. In fact, we, we believe that the man had never encountered Jesus before. So he wouldn't have known who it was who healed him. In fact, look ahead to verse 13. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd that had been there. How amazing is this encounter that Jesus should intentionally search out and heal someone whose life story he knew, whose identity he knew, whose hopes and faith he knew. And yet this man didn't know him. Isn't it wonderful that before we come to Jesus, he comes to us and finds us out? Secondly, Jesus has power. In verse 9, we read that at once the man was made well. The immediacy of the man's healing underlines Jesus' power to bring healing alongside compassion. And there is a contrast for me here between the power of Jesus to save and heal and the power of the resurrections that the Jewish authorities jumped on relating to the Sabbath day. 
And I wonder, how have you seen God's power at work this week in your relationships, in your workplaces, in your social activities, in your family and friendship circles? How do you desire to see Jesus' power at work in and through you? You see, the point is that the Sabbath was created by God so that people may know the gift and refreshment of rest. It can't possibly be used as a concept, as the Jewish authorities are using, to restrict the work of God and to deny people their healing and the opportunity to see Jesus' power and compassion at work. So Jesus encounters this man and life changes. This man's hope is fulfilled as he meets with the living God. And my prayer for all of us this morning is that we might encounter afresh the compassion and power of Jesus. Amen.